Good morning, everybody. ¿Cómo estás ustedes? Bien, bien. Okay. Buenos días a todos. Bienvenidos y que Dios los bendiga. Si entiendes las palabras que estoy diciendo, por favor, responde con aleluya. Ah, some of y'all got it. Okay. <laughs> Anybody know what language that is? Okay, I hope you do. That's Spanish, right? Yeah. Well, we say welcome, Holy Spirit. The, the message that God put on my heart is to, to share some thoughts with you about the beauty of God's word. And a lot of times God's word can seem like a foreign language that we can't enter into. So if you didn't know what words I was saying, you couldn't have responded. There were some clues in the room that I think some people may have cheated, but God's word is given to us so that we can know him. So I just want to invite him to speak. And would you all stand with me? I just want to pray together and let's stand for God's word. That's the theme of the message Lord, we love you and we thank you that this is not a ceremony. We're not here for rituals. We're not here for performances. We're not here for services that are rote and repetitive, God. We are here to be the body of Christ, to receive from you our head, Lord Jesus. And you're more important and you're more beautiful and you're more magnificent and you're more everything than anyone and everyone in this room combined. But yet you love us. And you've created and called us for a purpose. So we just want to say yes to you and your word. Lord, if you've got words of knowledge and words of wisdom that you want to give, Lord, we, want to, we, we say yes to that. I just declare by faith that we're going to move in new levels of giftings and anointings. And we're going to take steps like babies and be willing to step out and maybe look foolish, maybe mess up, God, but learn from those mistakes Because that's really where the fastest learning occurs is when we take chances. And, and God, we don't want to take chances for man's sake or in our strength, God. But we want to just take chances whenever we believe you're speaking to us. Because even if, even if we do mess up, God, you'll pick us up and you'll speak to us and you'll correct us and you'll teach us. You'll help us learn. Father, as your body, we say yes to you. Have your way and speak to us today. Let your word become flesh in our hearts and our lives. And let us become the ultimate translators of your word. Let your word become living flesh in us that other people can see and taste and experience for themselves, God, and fall in love with you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. I love languages. I love communication. I love words. I love concepts. And there are, one of my favorite things to do is to look up concepts that don't translate into English. And there's lots of them. There's lots of languages that have concepts that there's no equivalent word. And so the only way to grasp that concept is to describe the word in the other language. And a couple of ones that I picked out for uh, today's messages, one is Tosca. It's a Russian word. It's known as a particularly melancholy, peculiar, famously untranslatable word. And it doesn't help with the word meeting. It's a sensational anguish lacking any cause. It can kind of be like boredom. And it's not a concept that we, it, it, I guess it would be kind of like what we would feel when we feel melancholy, but it's, it's kind of like a sense of being lost. And so if you're an English-speaking missionary and you're trying to go relate to Russian people, that can be a very meaningful spiritual concept. But if you don't know their language and you don't know that word, it takes time for you to build a relationship, build rapport, and to do, understand their culture and be able to speak to them in a way that they'll understand. Another word is sobremesa. Anybody know what that word is? And some of y'all claim to be Spanish speakers. 
No? Okay. It's the moment after eating a meal when the food and the conversation are still, uh, the food is stopped, but the conversation is still flowing at the table. It's usually after the dessert and where the Spanish often linger at the table and they may play cards, watch TV, but they linger before returning to work and getting up. And so a Spanish server would be considered rude if they came and offered you the check before you asked for it. They want to give you as much space to sit there and linger. We don't, we have, you understand what the concept is because I just described it with a lot of words. But someone who speaks Spanish, sobre mesa, they understand that like that. And God's word is full of treasures like that. There's full of concepts and truths that are deep, deep treasures that take time for us to be able to understand. A couple of months ago, I heard about a, a lady named Princess. And I've shared this story several times. I don't know if I've shared it here, but she's an Indonesian woman now. She lives in the United States. A friend of mine met her at the end of a mission trip. She works for a mission organization. And when she was a young girl, when she came of age, her family was poor, and they said, we've only got three options for you. We can't afford to keep you anymore. So the first option is that you can go be a prostitute. Second option is we can sell you to become a concubine, some man's many wives. Or the third option is we can send you with this missionary organization. But you need to choose. Can you imagine being faced with that decision? I imagine she was somewhere around 12, 14 years of age. So she chose to go with the missionary organization. She made a really good choice. And when they were getting to know Princess and speaking to her, they said, if you could sit in your heavenly father's lap and ask him any question and know that he would answer you, what question would you ask your father in heaven? And she said, for starters, I don't know what it's like to have a father that I have a relationship with. I come from a Muslim family. I would never, I've never had the experience of sitting in my father's lap. I can't even imagine what that would be like. But if what you're saying is true, and if I could do that, I would want to be able to speak English. And two minutes later, she was able to read, speak, and comprehend English. Now, that her story encapsulates two different concepts that I've already kind of alluded to. One, she didn't speak a foreign language. And two, the language of love with her Heavenly Father was a concept that she couldn't grasp because she had no concept of that in her reality. And so we're like princess in a lot of ways because we speak a language in our earthly system and we've got concepts that may or may not line up with his concepts. And so sometimes things he wants to say and do in our lives are foreign and sometimes they take work and time in the oven, so to speak, to let the dough rise and let those truths become realities to us. So I want to share some beautiful truths out of God's word. And that was the, the theme of what I felt God put on my heart is the beauty of God's word. When a missionary goes to a foreign culture, especially one where they don't have a, a language that has been written down and recorded yet, there's a, a lot of field work that happens. They have to go and basically live with them and, and get to know them and learn their cultures, learn those experiences like Sobre Mesa. And they have to build rapport with them before they can find those concepts that translate. For example, there was a tribe in Papua New Guinea that baptism that had no meaning to them, a water baptism that didn't mean anything to them. But they had 
I, I don't remember the full backstory, but what did have meaning to them is for the elders, all the men, to line up in a single file line back to front with their legs slightly open and for a person to crawl through like a gauntlet and to struggle through and to come out on the other side. And that was a symbol of rebirth. And so when somebody would give their life to Christ, the elders would gather and they would line up like that. And that person who was declaring their faith would go through that ceremony. So those are examples of concepts that have the same meaning, but they might look different in different cultures. And a lot of times we miss and we're unaware of of these treasures that exist in God's word. And so my goal, my desire today is just to encourage you and share some of these that I think will bless you. When you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they each have a different flavor and a different focus. Matthew was written to a primarily Jewish audience. It was written to make the case that Jesus is Messiah. Mark is the shortest of the four gospel accounts, and it's written primarily to a Roman audience, a non-Jewish audience, and it focuses on the immediacy and the action of Jesus. He's a man that gets things done. They're powerful. Luke is written to more of a human, um, a human, with more of a humanities focus, more of a Greek audience, focuses on the humanity of, of Jesus. It's all where we get all the nitty-gritty details of what his birth and, and what Mary and Joseph went through, and it's more on presenting the, the human aspects of what Jesus was like. John is the least Jewish-focused book, and it is focused, its account is written to a Gentile audience, a non-Jewish audience, and his goal is to cause or help people believe that Jesus is God. And so it's fascinating when you begin to keep those four things in mind and you start to look at different things in it, that are recorded in the different Gospels, some, some real treasures start to come out. There's a concept of first things first or law first mention in Scripture where the first time that something appears in Scripture, that that becomes the reference point for that word or that concept. Do you know when the first time that lamb appears in the Bible? It's when Isaac and Abraham are going up to the mountain. And Isaac asks, where's the lamb? And, the, and Moses says, the Lord will provide a lamb for the sacrifice. It was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do. But it was a conceptual experience, a historical account in the Jewish mindset, psyche, if you will, that spoke to them so that when Jesus showed up, guess where the first mention of a lamb in the New Testament occurs? In John, when John the Baptist says, behold, the lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. So that was, when he uttered that, it was a reference that made sense to the Jew first and maybe not to the Gentile, but it's recorded in the John account, which is written to Gentiles. See, there's a, there's a, one of the things I love about Scripture is that God hides things for the Jewish audience in the books that are not focused on Jewish topics. And then if you want to understand many of the Jewish treasures, you've got to go and look at the cultural things that happened in the past. So does anybody know where, where to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles comes from? It's in one of the most famous verses in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentiles. So when you look at Scripture, 
we, we see that after Genesis 12, when God starts establishing Abraham, it's the story of the building the Jewish nation. What's he doing? He is building a culture and a people that he can have a relationship with, that he can bring a Messiah through, who they can then represent him to the world. And so when God says things to the Jew first and then to the Gentile, it's not that so that they would go make everybody become Jews. It was so that they would have an innate understanding of who he is, and they could go out and say with conviction and confidence and boldness that declare the things of God and minister God's truths. So Israel, for example, is a testimony of God's existence. The fact that the nation of Israel is in existence today is a prophetic sign that God is who he says he is. He said he was going to do it. He's done it. And he's going to continue to do the things. And so one day, all the nations are going to be put to shame when they, when they realize they mocked and they attacked and they persecuted a nation that God said was his nation and would be reborn. It's not an accident that we live in this time. We should not take that for granted. We are living in prophetic times. Not personal prophecy, just personal prophecy, but national world prophetic times. So first things first, the Lamb of God, Isaac and Abraham, John the Baptist. In John 21, verse 22, it's one of my favorite verses. John basically says, all these things, of all these things that were written and recorded, there's much more. And there's so much more that the world couldn't even contain all the books if they were to be written down. But what has been recorded has been recorded so that you might believe in who he is as God. Some interesting things about that statement in the book of John. John has the least amount of miracles out of all four Gospels. Only eight are recorded in John. You would think that if he's making the point that there's all these things that have been recorded and everything that's recorded here so that you would believe, you'd have more. One of, there's only one parable that is recorded in all four Gospels. I'm sorry, one miracle. It's the miracle of feeding the 5,000. It's only in John that Jesus instruction to the disciples after the feeding of the 5,000 to pick up the fragments is recorded. When you look at God's word in, in whole from a big picture standpoint, you start to see these patterns. The Old Testament, that's really a bad name. It's not old. It was the first covenant. It was fulfilled by Jesus, and, the, and we were given a new covenant. But it complements and the original covenant establishes a lot of the things that are ours now today. The blessing of Abraham, the healings, so many different things. And it's real deceptive to, to become discouraged or distracted or to minimalize God's word and say, oh, that's Old Testament. How many believers have you ever heard say that? Oh, tithing is Old Testament. That's the law. <laughs> no, that started in the garden. And there's a purpose in it. And same thing with the healing of the Lord, the, just who God is as a, as a miraculous, incredible, creative being. We can't see all of who he is if we just take little snippets. We've got to take into account the whole word of God. So another nugget from the book of John. The first, okay, now keep in mind, Romans 1.16 says that the gospel is, the good news is to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Okay. Matthew is written to the Jews, so you can see that pattern in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew's to the Jews first, Mark 
Luke, and then John, the last one, is the least focused on the Jewish people. But yet, John records the first recorded miracle that Jesus ever did. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. You can see these patterns and these pictures in Scripture. When you start to pay attention, it's like, oh my gosh, the Word of God is beautiful. It is rich. That ceremony where he had the servants go fill the six vessels with water, and he turned it into wine. That was a message that a Jewish audience would understand that a Gentile would not. Because those vessels were used for cleansing. And, and to take something like that and to do that, he was giving a prophetic sign that his blood was going to be the only thing that could do for them what water and rituals could no longer do. But if you don't understand Jewish culture and you don't understand those concepts, you can't enter into the joy and the treasure that's there. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. It doesn't mean that you won't be forgiven of sin. It doesn't mean that you can't have a relationship with the Lord. But as you start to dig in and understand these things, I find that my love for the Lord just begins to explode. As some of these things I'm sharing with you, I've, I've, I've thought about them and practiced them a lot. But the first few times that they started jumping out at me, I was just weeping. I was like, God, you're so beautiful. You love us so much. How many of you are familiar with the church of Laodicea? One of the seven churches in Revelation. Do you know what that one is famous for? Be either hot or cold, but not lukewarm, lest I spew you out of my mouth. How many times have you heard that preached as a sermon about being hot for Jesus, being on fire for God? How many of you believe that? I probably have preached that myself. Laodicea had no water source of its own. It was between two cities. One was famous for cool water. The other was famous for hot water springs. Both of them had channels coming into the city of Laodicea. Both of them were lukewarm by the time they got to Laodicea. He was giving a cultural reference to them. Don't be like how you are. Either be hot or be cold. You know, a hot drink in the middle of winter is very refreshing, and a cold drink in the middle of summer is very refreshing. But a lukewarm drink at either time is just, yeah. You know, he doesn't want us to be, blah. In the mouth of, he wants the world to taste and see that he is good when they come into contact with us. One of these, uh, this last one that I got was from when Ed Trout was here, and he told an incredible story. Two miracles that are found in the book of John, two of those eight. One is the healing of the man who was blind from birth, the other one is the healing of the man who was lame and at the pool of Bethesda. Now, the first one was the man who was at the uh, pool of Bethesda. And that pool was, would start in northern Jerusalem, and it would flow all the way down to southern Jerusalem. And the man that was healed by the, who was blind from birth, he was told to go and rinse in the pool of Siloam, the second pool. To our unrenewed minds and our un, uninformed perspective, that could just look like, oh, Jesus is just doing things by bodies of water on feast days. Hmm. Well, God showed Ed Trout. I'm just, I'm, this was a fascinating story. I don't want to try to take credit for it. But in 2 Samuel 5, 7, when David was trying to take back Jerusalem from the Jebusites, they were mocking him. And they said, even our lame and our blind would be able to turn you away. You're not taking back this city. 
So for Jesus to go to the northern pool, and, 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 and by the way, and, and, and David used that water, that water formed a, a tunnel through the, underneath the city, and he was able to go up through that tunnel to get in, and that's how they overtook the city. So for Jesus to go to those two pools, he was, he was prophetically rebuking the mocking of the enemy. And I've seen God do things like that in my life where it's like just something subtle, something somebody said would never happen or whatever. And all of a sudden I'm looking back and God's like, see, that happened. They were wrong. I took care of that. Just like the, Pastor Allen was saying, the Lord's fighting for us. So the reason why I wanted to bring up to share just some of these examples is to encourage you that God's word is so rich and his love for us is so rich. And just like we may not grasp vocabulary words or concepts, that doesn't change who he is to us. And as we, I encourage you to just to have that mindset. And whenever you feel tempted to be discouraged or dissatisfied or feeling discontent, know that the reason why you feel that way is because that's not how God created you to be that way. He created you to be full of life, full of love, full of purpose, full of power, full of dominion. The reason why we don't like to be bored and the reason why it's a negative feeling is because we weren't created for boredom. The reason why we don't like discouragement and we don't, it doesn't feel good to us is we were not created for that. These are all, these, these are all phenomena that, that came through the fall. So in closing, the word has a very important meaning in addition to being encouraged by it and seeing the beauty of it. When you understand the role of the word together with the concept of kingdom, all of a sudden this has even more and more meaning. I want to share just a couple of thoughts with you. Kingdom is a form of government. It is not a piece of real estate. It's not somewhere we're trying to get to. It's not nirvana. It's not a state. It's a reality. It's God's government. Kingdoms expand through colonization. They transform areas, and they make those areas and those people like them. The kingdom of God is about his glory first and our good second. When you get those flip-flopped, you get a perverse gospel that becomes focused on us and really, the Bible stops making sense because we start trying to interpret everything from a religious perspective about God trying to make bad people good so they don't go to hell. And I don't have time to go into that. But think about God gets glory when people live like him and under his influence, not necessarily when they come to live with him. See, religion has taught a lot of lies that, you know, that God needs new angels in heaven so he kills babies and, you know, uh, it was God's will that all these bad things happened because he's making good people out of bad people. And those are all lies. Those are lies. God's name, let's think about the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed means to be set apart or consecrated. Okay, how do we hallow God's name? God's name is hallowed when he gets recognized and represented and known for who he is. A good father doesn't destroy his children or kill them. That's a bad father. But a lot of times that's what religion has told the world that God is. That's not hallowing God's name. Hallowing God's name, he's hallowed when we begin to live in response like him. When we reflect his glory because we're living in response to the words that he's spoken to us. 
And his kingdom comes and his will is done on earth through what? What's the next part that comes after that? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what? Give us our daily bread as we forgive those who sin against us. What does daily bread have to do with any of this? Where was the first concept of daily bread presented in Scripture? In Exodus, when they were in the wilderness, and God was teaching them that I'm going to provide natural bread for you, supernatural bread. What is it? Right? But the bread itself was not the provision. It was God's instruction about the bread that was God's provision. So give us this day our daily bread is give us your word for us today. What is on your heart? What's your will? How do I handle this situation? It's a time of dialogue. It's a time of sharing and communicating. I've, I've got, it's like, think of yourself as like a, a senator or a representative, and you're coming before the government, and you're saying, okay, in my district or my region, we've got this situation going on. I need, I need government wisdom. I need government resources. I need government backup. How are we going to handle this situation? That's how his kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven when we live by every word that proceeds from his mouth rather than by natural things alone. Sometimes he'll tell us to pick up this much. On some days, he'll tell us to pick up this much. On some days, he'll tell us don't pick up anything. But each day is a picture of living by his word. Now, last little thought. Kings rule by their word. It was a very dangerous thing to come before a king back when there were real kingdoms. If you remember the story of Esther, she was trembling. She was, it was a life or death thing. She could have been killed but for coming in front of the king without an audience, an invitation. Why? Because a king, if a king, whatever a king speaks becomes law. It's not ratified by Congress and politicians and, you know, interest groups and all that kind of stuff. If the king speaks it, it is. So if the king says, you've offended me, die, you die. The exciting thing about God's word, my last message was that repent is our response ability. It's our ability to respond. The word of God, the commands carry with them the capacity to do what the commands are saying. That's what makes God's word different. So when God speaks a word, it's a, think of it as like a seed. He's giving you a seed, and that seed has the genetic picture of what he wants to have mature and come about. But it also has the power to accomplish that, all we need to do is be the soil that receives the seed. And that's what your soul is. Your soul is where you receive the seeds of God's word. Words travel from the king's mouth to our ears, to our mind, to our heart. And then once we have an abundance, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's when faith occurs. Mark 4 says that that's how the kingdom works. The kingdom is God speaking. The kingdom is all about God speaking, us hearing it, receiving it, letting it grow in us to a point of conviction and confidence, and then we speak it. That's why when we're worshiping, we are declaring, we're, we're coming in together, we're, we're coming into unity, we are practicing, we are seeding the clouds. Every time that you declare something about God that is true, you're building your faith, whether you know it or not. You're watering the seeds. You're, you're creating deposits. That's why we should never, ever let the enemy come in and get us to belittle anything in God's word. Praying, worshiping, preaching. What are all three of those things have in common? Speaking. What is this book? It's a book of words. What are words? Words are spoken. 
This is a book, this is a book of words that records the words that resulted in actions in God's dealings with man. So the word of God is both beautiful and powerful, and it is so integral, integral, integrated, such a part of, you can't have the kingdom of God without God's word. When we give a word of knowledge, what are we doing? We're giving a word from the throne room of heaven. When we give a word of encouragement, what are we doing? We're speaking life over somebody, over a situation. How did God say that he sent healing in the Old Testament? God sent his word and healed them. Jesus is the word. In the beginning, John 1 was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Before Jesus came in the flesh, he was not referred to as the son. He was not the son in heaven. He was the word. He became the son when he was begotten in flesh, and he introduced a relation to it to the Father for us that we could not have known unless he had done that. But it's the word. So the word is written. The word is spoken. The word points to Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the word. And when we are practicing, when we are speaking the word, we are participating in the kingdom. We are participating in a mystery of co-laboring with what Jesus is doing and saying in heaven and once done and said on earth. We're binding and loosing on earth, what he's binding and loosing in heaven. And my message today was to, A, share some concepts with you that would encourage you and encourage you to go look for some more. Go treasure hunting. Listen to preachers and teachers who can help you see that the, the story that I got about Laodicea, I can't take credit for that one. I got that from Robert Morris and I got, who John shared that with me. But that's so blessed me. And I, I, like, I want to go back to it and listen to it again and again. But did... I, th I think I heard some relief and some like, hmm, when I shared that. I know that's what I felt. when I first. I, that verse always used to seem so heavy to me. I've got to either be hot or cold for God or he's going to spew me out of his mouth, you know? No, he was just saying don't play games. Either be for me or don't. But don't go out and act like you're for me and be a cup of lukewarm water to people. And the, so the word of God is, is Jesus in spirit, it's Jesus in truth, it's Jesus in writing, it's Jesus spoken, it's Jesus in the flesh. And as we speak and hear and receive and release and meditate on and read the word of God, the word becomes flesh in us. And we begin to display his glory and transform. We're transformed. See, doesn't, the Bible doesn't say be conformed. It says be transformed. If you're not being transformed, you're going to be conformed. But we were already created in his image, so we don't need to be conformed. We just need to be continuously transformed so that we're not conformed to the world's image by the renewing of our minds. How do you renew your mind in school? You listen to words. You listen to information. That's what we're here for. So be encouraged. Know that God is for you, not against you. He's good. Everything that we see in Scripture is there for a reason. The, the treasures that God has for you may or may not be apparent to you, but take faith and take hope in the nature of who he is and think about it like this. Remember, God didn't tell the Jewish people to go make everybody Jewish. He told them to be his people and his nation and have a unique relationship with him so that they could represent him and explain him to the world.
We learn about these treasures when we become disciples. So that's the exhortation. Become a disciple. Ask the Lord to help you become a disciple more than you already are. I believe we're all disciples to a certain extent. The fact that we're here every Sunday, we're hallowing God's name. We're saying, God, there's something different about you, and I'm going to get together with other believers, and I'm going to worship you. But don't think that you have to teach people all the knowledge and information that you have. Let the word become flesh in you and go deliver that to them. That's why the ministry of healing and prophesying is so impactful. Because, or just having a testimony. When you, when you go to your workplace every day and you love on people and you've got joy and there's not darkness in you and you don't speak the same way that they do, they're, they're seeing, they're tasting and seeing that there's something different about you. And then expect that God is going to give you those words at the right time and the right place. And while you're waiting for the words that you need to say to them, be filling, just be receiving, be living by the daily words that he speaks to you the words that come out of his mouth and you'll be living in the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom. Before we close, I know it hasn't been a super, you know, supernatural um, message, but does anybody have a word of knowledge or a word of encouragement or anything? I don't want to practice doing the same thing every week. So I'm just, I'm just asking. Sabata, do you have anything? No? Okay. All right. Well, guess what? I, I think God wants us to get ready for, to be shaken up and to do things different. I think we need to let go of, of ideas that we need to be out by a certain time or that we've got a certain place to be. I mean, sometimes we might get out at 1145. Sometimes we might get out here at 3 o'clock. Who cares? If you need to leave, then you're free to but, because there's no condemnation. But I believe that God wants to do new things in us, and all we have to do is be willing to say yes. Yeah, word of knowledge. Not for someone specific for this church. It's about hunger. You know, Kirk, I've, I've been thinking about this for the last couple of weeks. That to have your hunger level, I was going to say this before I preached, to have your hunger level at, at where you're at in life is very unique. When young people, what happens is when we think we know a lot, we're not filled. We don't think we need it filled. And so what happens is it's not about amens and hallelujahs, and it was a supernatural message. If we apply it. If we apply it. You can amen, hallelujah, shake all you want. But if you don't apply it out those doors, it's useless. It is useless. Jesus, that was a good sermon. Back to my life. Jesus, thank you for giving me food. Back to my life. But, uh, you know, when I give the tithe message, Kirk leans and he's hungry. Guys, we need to get hungry again. Next week, Blaine's going to make a deposit. But then Blaine's leaving and we still have God. We, you, you, we need to get to the place where we're hungry when, when someone stands up. It doesn't matter who it is. And I'm not, say, I'm not saying this for worship. But when, like worship. Oh, it's another worship service. No, it's God in the room. Then I have a connection with him. It's just another sermon. No, what did you hear today that you can apply? I want you to think right now, what did you hear today that you can apply? The reason why Robert Morris got that from Laodicea about the, is, is because he studied. He studies 30 hours a week. Now, I couldn't study 30 hours a week for a sermon. I'd go crazy. I, I don't know what I would do. Like. But you have a relationship with God. John had one. Matthew had one. Mark had one. So, Lord, I thank you for new hunger coming again. You know, we need to get rid of this. We think we're religious. Let me tell you something. The Baptists are religious. We can be religious. Charismatics become, can become religious. We need to become childlike. So, Lord, I thank you for having us become childlike again to, to unlearn things. You know, Reinhard Bunke went and started churches in Africa, and he says, I had all these believers. He goes, I had to reach it. He Finally, I just started with new people. God, make us fresh again. We know nothing. We 
know nothing. We know nothing. We don't know how to spit on mud. We know nothing, but we know Jesus. They were unlearned men, but they've been with Jesus. That's the difference. We need to be with Jesus. Not just sermons, not just message. Unlearned. They didn't learn it from a man, but they've been with Jesus. Not just hear about Jesus. Not just see Jesus from a distance. Two blind men. Jesus walked by. Son of David, have mercy on me. The scribes and Pharisees studied the scrolls. They knew the scrolls, but they missed Jesus. The blind men, son of David, that's a messianic term. I can't see in the natural, but you know what? I know who you are. Son of David, have mercy on me. You're the promised one. We exalt the promised one. So, Lord, I thank you for changing our mentalities and, and getting us hungry again. Revival comes for the hungry, not for the filled. God, help us push things out in our life that don't leave room for the new. So I thank you. I just I was just thinking about Kirk. You know, he's so hungry. And Kirk, you have a lot of knowledge and wisdom and revelation, but you're still so hungry, God. So I thank you, Lord, for helping us be like childlike. I told Lee and I go, if half the church had Kirk's heart, we'd be in revival. So Lord, I thank you for being hungry again. Steve, and I'll end with this. Steve Hill went to Pensacola many times. John Kilpatrick goes, many times I had Steve Hill. He was in the revival in Argentina, and he, and he preached, but he went to another revival in Europe, and it, it was a traditional church. It was not like, you know, the charismatic roots. It was God entered in into a place that didn't have that background, but he did something new, and Steve Hill goes, when I went there, I got something new, so Lord, I thank you for the new. We had Steve Hill many times, but that time was different. So, Lord, I thank you for that time being different. I just prepared the ground for just a couple minutes for next Sunday, God. I thank you for coming hungry again, not just to hear a guest speaker, not just to hear a good sermon, but a touch from God and revival. I thank you for the cloud of a man's fist. When the prophet saw the size of a cloud, he says, prepare yourself. God, we don't move when it floods. We move when we see the cloud. And we see the cloud, God. We see Jesus moving on the earth and in this church, God. So I thank you, Lord, for filling up the hungry this week. And God, in every area where I'm not hungry, make me hungry. Every area where I'm full, make, make, God, make me starving again. I used to push my bike up a hill. You know, people, people walk three hours to go to church in other countries. Walk. Walk. And yet, driving 30, 40 minutes an hour seems laborious. People stand hours for revival. But an hour, two-hour service seems a lot. God, I thank you that removing time from us. We give you room not to belabor something. If the baby takes eight hours to deliver, it takes hours, it takes three days, God. We don't put a time limit on it. What's long is not from God. What's short is, we just let you determine. So, Lord, I thank you for next Sunday given the cloud, and I thank you for the rain coming, God, next Sunday. I thank you for putting into revival, God. I thank you Blaine's going to come. He's going to put in the supernatural, God, but he's going to leave, but you're still here. I thank you for signs, wonders, miracles, young people being saved, old people leading them, and I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.